Good morning. The hope for today, pray about your problems. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6. What do you do when you have a problem? Do you worry? Most of us do, but does worrying help problems? No, it does not. So, if worry doesn't solve the problem, why worry? The Bible's account about Hezekiah gives us an idea for problem solving. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, 2 Kings 19, 14 through 15, instead of turning to God as a first resource, we often turn to him as a last resort. Follow Hezekiah's formula, turn to God first with your problems, for only he is capable of handling them in a way that will be in your best interest and according to his perfect will. The hope for today, pray before you panic. Did you receive bad news? Pray. Have a big decision? Pray. Make, uh, is a loved one far from the Lord? Pray. Prayer is the greatest tool of a believer. I will say amen to that. And with that, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your great and glorious mercy. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have heard our cry to you this morning, that you are present in this place. We ask for you to work on our hearts and our minds according to your good will, to address us individually as you see fit, Lord, to draw us near to you and to cause this service to be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our reading this morning is from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. If you'd like to stand with me, we can read the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then 8 through 16. Faith, faith is the confidence that we hope for, that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as, who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore, there's no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, if you join me in the responsive reading. Holy God, mighty and immortal, you are beyond our knowing. Yet we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ, whose compassion illuminates the world. Transform us into the likeness of the love of Christ, who renewed our humanity so that we may share in his divinity. The same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we read again today how all came into existence by your word. You gave the command and it happened. And Lord, so all comes from you, all will go back to you, and still all is owned by you. But you entrust some to each one of us. And you ask us, you call on us to share. You call on us to spread your word you call on us to 
be your disciples. So Lord, we ask that the gifts we give today, that they be blessed and they be that your wisdom guide their use. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Wanna rise for the doxology? Well, good morning. I, you know, I love that we, it's like everybody con contributes a part to our service. I, that just is, uh, really blesses my soul that, you know, that it, it's, we're, we're a body. We're, we're working together and everybody has, uh, everybody has things that God gives to them and it's really, uh, it's really a special thing. So, um, so I'm going to, uh, we're going to finish up this morning the, um, the third chapter of Revelation, and we're not going on to the rest of Revelation, we're just going to go through the, uh, uh, through the letters to the seven churches. So um, let me read Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And this is the admonition to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so um, we're talking about Laodicea, and uh, let me stand over here a little bit. Uh, here's, the, here's the seven churches, and uh, it, started, it starts with Ephesus, and we go up the coast, Smyrna, and then Pergamum, and then drop down uh, going inland to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then the last one, uh, Laodicea. And if you notice, Laodicea is, is uh, in between. There's three, there's three towns right there. There's Hierapolis, Laodicea and Colossae, um, and we, you know, we spent, gosh, about a year studying the book of Colossians. Um, but um, so Laodicea then lay on a main route from Ephesus and the sea, you can see there, and there's a valley that goes in there um, to Laodicea, that, that, you know, where you get to Laodicea. So it stood both at, um, on that, on that uh, valley going into, 
Anatolia, but also in the valley that runs through Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So uh, kind of a crossroads then of civilization, you know, in that, in that area. Um, and so five of the seven cities lay along the trade route, um, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And as I mentioned, uh, there were three cities. Hierapolis was about six miles to the north, and Colossae about 10 miles up the Lycus Glen. And Laodicea was one of the more recent cities, and it wasn't a very prosperous city until the time of the Roman Empire, and then became very pros prosperous. Um, and the reason for that, if you remember when we studied about Sardis, uh, Sardis was about 1,500 uh, feet above the, you know, the, the floor. So the earlier city in Sardis was up on this uh, uh, pinnacle, and the same thing in Pergamum. So they were e easily defensible, um, but not so with Laodicea. And so one commentator says this, uh, Laodicea only needed peace to make it a great commercial and financial center. So uh, during the Pax Romana, the Roman peace then, Laodicea could begin to grow and, and did become to grow. Um, and then it says, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need it, but you do not realize that you are pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you by from a gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So Laodicea, um, well, just one thing I want to cover before I, we dig into that, uh, the history of Laodicea, Laodicea. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, explanations of the history of man, and of course, you always see the, you know, the man ascending from the ape. And uh, I, sometimes I wonder if we're actually descending from the ape, but we're not. We're, you know, that, that's the theory, is that man is ascending from the ape. And so that you look at primitive man, and they were very primitive. That's, that's where the theory takes you, okay? The whole theory of evolution and so on. But um, if you look in the Bible, that's not the case. What you see. Man coming, you know, right, you know, Adam and Eve, right at the beginning, man coming out as intelligent and creative and resourceful and so on, and that's what you see, the history of man. So when we look at, then, uh, you know, the history of the region, and I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have come to this conclusion as much as uh, when being in the Middle East a lot, um, and seeing some of the artifacts and so on. And let me point some of those uh, just to, you know, give you an idea. This is an Egyptian temple, 1300 centuries before Christ, all right? So, you know, incredible uh, architecture and so on. Next one. Um, and you look at these Roman aqueducts, and you, you know, you drive through that region and in through the Roman, you know, where the Roman roads are and where the, uh, you know, the water, taking the water into the cities. And I mean, that's an incredible piece of architecture. That is not primitive man. <laughs> that, that, is, that is incredible architecture. And then the next one. Um, this is a, the sarcophagus of Alexander in late 14th century BC. And look at the incredible carving and so on. So 
That's what we find is that mankind is not this primitive creature that lived in caves. Man is, is, is uh, creative and intelligent and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so, so we see then, Laodicea was known for three things. First, its banking establishment. Um, it was a, incredibly, became, under the Roman Empire, became an incredibly prosperous city. And so they felt they were in need of nothing. Um, it was the, Laodicea was the wealthiest city in Phrygia, and one of the wealthiest cities in the world at that time. And as we mentioned before when we studied about Ephesus, Ephesus was a commercial center, and so, you know, there, there was trade going through Laodicea all the time from Ephesus and from other areas. The second thing they were known for was their textile industry. And they had, in, in Laodicea, they were famous for a soft, violet-black, glossy wool. So they had these black sheep, okay, Actually, they ended up being the black sheep of the family, but, they, but, they, but they, uh, they actually had these black sheep, and they were very popular for garments, and so they would make garments out of those. Um, and it was especially known for a tunic called the Trimita, and so much so that Laodicea was referred to as Trimitaria at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD. So it uh, became uh, not only prosperous at the time that this is written, but prosperous in through the, uh, into what became the um, Byzantine Empire. So the third thing it was famous for was an ISAV, and it became famous as a medical center. If you remember when we talked about Pergamum, Pergamum was, was a, uh, very famous as well as a medical center, and Galen, the, who is regarded as kind of the, the father of medicine, uh, lived in, in uh, Pergamum. Well, the same kind of thing in Laodicea, and two of the doctors in Laodicea were very famous throughout the world. And one of the two specialties was an ISAV made in Laodicea. So the word used for the salve was um, <coughs> colurion, which meant literally a little roll of bread. So it was in a form of like a, a little roll of bread. And it was a salve was exported in the form of a tablet in the shape of little rolls, okay? So they became no, famous for those things. So it was a city of merchants, bankers, and gold refiners. And they were proud about three things, their financial wealth. And so Jesus says, you're actually wretched, pitiful, and poor. Their textile industry, he says, you're naked. And then I salve, he says, you're blind. So here they are there, they are all puffed up with, with their wealth and all the things and, that they're famous for, and Jesus says, you're nothing. Laodicea even carried on a caravan trade as far as the Yellow River in the Punjab province in China. That's pretty far away, okay? So when Christ urges them to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's using language that spoke to them. Then there's the history of the hot and cold water, verses 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the word that's used 
for cold um, means cold to the extent of freezing. And um, this, uh, let me just point this out. In um, near Laodicea is, and this is near, actually near Hierapolis. Remember, Hierapolis is about six miles away from Laodicea. There's a place that's uh, very famous. A lot of, you know, a lot of tourists go there. And it's called Pamukkale, which means in Turkish, Pamuk means cotton, and Kale means uh, castle. So it's a cotton castle. And these are the, 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 the minerals from the water flow down over this, over this, uh, uh, this bank, this, uh, this hill. And so this is what you get. Show, there's about three or four slides on this. Or back up, okay. Um, and that's what it looks like. And, and, it, and this is hot water. It's medicinal. Okay, go, keep going. Okay, and then this now then we're getting to Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was a, you know, was a, was a famous city as well. We won't go into the whole history of that. But here's a story that uh, is very interesting. He says, I wish you were, you were either hot or cold. Okay, but he says, instead, you're lukewarm. And in, in, um, in Laodicea, they are, Laodicea is down in a valley, okay? And turn about two more slides, I think. Uh, one more, one more. Okay, okay, this is the hot springs. So in Pamukkale then, this is the hot springs that flow down from, the, from what we just saw, the hot springs here. And that, then that flows out over these cliffs that we just looked at, okay? On the other side of the valley is a, next slide, is a mountain, 8,000 foot high mountain. So on one side you have very cold water coming down. On the other side you have this hot medicinal water coming down from Hierapolis and what, what is today Pamukkale, and then it comes together and it's lukewarm and so it's worthless. And so Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish that you were like, you know, uh, the water coming down from the mountains because that's cool and refreshing and so on, or that you were hot and had medicinal value like the, uh, like the um, you know, Pamukkale and the, the uh, water coming down from there. So Jesus was saying that they were not useful and that he was about to spit them out of their mouth. He said, you become lukewarm, you are worthless. Okay, so let's look at the history of the church in Laodicea. The church was possibly founded by Epaphras, who founded the church in Colossae. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, okay, so he was, Epaphras was from Colossae, Colossae which, is, which is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Epaphras then, being from Colossae, probably founded both the, church, the churches in, in Hierapolis, the church in Colossae, and the church in Laodicea. We, we don't know that, you know, it, it doesn't say that in the text, but we, we assume that he was, we, we know he founded the church in, in uh, Colossae, so he probably founded the other two as well. And if you remember, Paul didn't travel to, as far as we know, never traveled to, to that region. 
Um, I, somehow I think he probably did, but, but we don't have any evidence of that, that he traveled uh, into that region. But he headquartered in Ephesus, and then it says that the word of God went into all of Asia, what was called Asia Minor at that time, from Ephesus. And uh, Epaphras was one of those who took the word then to those uh, more outlying cities. Colossians 4, 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. Okay, remember, this is a, a, this is a, a letter to the Colossians. And he says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Okay, so Paul sends a letter to Colossae, and we have that, the letter of Colossians, but we don't have the letter that was sent to Laodicea. Okay, and so obviously somewhere along the way, this letter to Laodicea got lost, and, um, and we no longer have that. Verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And there's a tradition that Archippus had become the bishop of Laodicea and possibly in, the, in that area. We don't know for sure. But, um, and when it says there's a tradition, what that means is that extra-biblical literature, historians and so on, have said that uh, Archippus was the bishop of Laodicea but we don't have any biblical proof of that. We, we just, we have reference to it. So it's possible, okay? In this verse it says, see to it, you complete the work you've received in the Lord. It's possible that the seeds of the degeneration of the church in Laodicea were already there when Paul wrote the letter, wrote this note for Archippus, okay? So he's saying, complete the work. So there was something he was not doing, okay? And so possibly that would, those seeds of degeneration were already there. It was already heading for destruction. Okay. So let's look again at the exhortations to the church in Laodicea. And there were three exhortations. Number one, their wealth and self-sufficiency and pride. Okay. In verses 16 and 17. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, he says, you know, it, it's gotten so bad, you're so lukewarm, I have no choice but just to spit you out of my mouth. Well, that's what you do with lukewarm water, don't you? Um, you know, you, you, you taste it and it's kind of, yeah, you know, it doesn't do anything for you. If it's hot, you can make good coffee out of it. If it's cold, you can get refreshed. But, but lukewarm water is not very tasty. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But... You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And remember we said earlier that um, probably these letters that are written to these seven churches, many of them were surprised at what Jesus told them. Okay? And I'm sure this is one of the cases. They're saying, we're in great shape. We don't need anything. We're, you know, we're great. We don't need anything, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, oh yes, you do. You are, actually, um, you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're actually in pretty bad shape. So much so that I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. James 1.9 says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. 
But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. All right? So if they had taken the, the position of being wealthy, of the low position, they'd be okay. Um, and it goes on, because he will pass away like a wildflower. In AD 61, Laodicea was devastated by an earthquake. Remember we talked about in AD 17, there was an earthquake that went through this Lycus Valley and, and affected Sardis and a number of the other cities in that valley. Well, um, Laodicea, in, and that was AD 17, but in AD 61, they were devastated again by an earthquake. And they were so wealthy that they refused any disaster relief from the Roman Empire. Remember in, in uh, some of the other, in Sardis, um, the Roman emperor actually came and, and helped them to rebuild the city. Well, Laodicea said, you know what, we're good. We'll do this by ourselves. We're so wealthy, we'll do it by ourselves. And they financed the whole rebuilding from their own resources. So that demonstrates their self-sufficiency, refusing help from anyone. Um, they were like Switzerland. They were neutral, and they were, you know, they had enough money, they didn't need anybody. Second thing was their spiritual blindness. Verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not re realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so when one of the things that wealth can do is to put us into the place where we are spiritually blind. I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So they were blind to their own spiritual poverty. They thought they were rich and in need of nothing, Reality, they needed all that really mattered and possessed nothing of what really mattered. All their self-sufficiency only blinded them to their real need. And isn't that the way with us sometimes? You know, in, in times of prosperity, we think, you know, I'm good, Lord. I, I'm doing just great. I, I don't need anything. I'm good, Lord. Thanks. You know. I'll let you know when I got some problems. <laughs> you know, you'll hear from me later on, but, but right now I'm doing just great, Lord. Thank you very much. So the church in Laodicea was spiritually poor and naked and blind. And there's a great irony portrayed in these warnings. They will be truly rich, truly clothed, and truly healed, all because of their humiliation in seeking the Lord. And in Scripture... What we see is that when we, when we are spiritually poor, then we are in a position to receive from God. When we, are, when we are wealthy, we say, I don't need stuff. And in the kingdom of God, the way up is the way down. And the message of the church in Laodicea was, recognize your own spiritual poverty and your blindness and sickness or there is no hope of healing. All they had to do was acknowledge their spiritual blindness and nakedness. <clears throat> and Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And if we, if we go after trying to provide all those things for ourselves, and we don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then we can find ourselves in a place of spiritual poverty. 
Luke 6, 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Luke 12, 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself, but is not rich toward God. And so what Scripture constantly reminds us of is to seek first the kingdom of God, to, to seek after those spiritual things, and the fact that that we are wealthy sometimes, okay, not all the time, but sometimes is an indication that we have been putting all our stock into material things and not into our relationship with God. And that's what the, the Laodiceans were doing. So Jesus was saying that they needed to pay attention to their spiritual poverty. Third thing was their lukewarmness. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty, you know, there were no good things that Jesus said about the church in Laodicea. You know, the others, um, some of them, two of the letters, there were no, no uh, exhortations. But the, the church here in Laodicea is the only one, that, there's nothing good said about the church in Laodicea. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what the Laodiceans lacked was spiritual passion. Isn't that right? They lacked passion. They weren't hot, they weren't cold, they were, they were, just, they were just lukewarm, spiritually lukewarm. And we as Christians are to be eager and zealous and diligent. We're to serve the Lord with passion. What is spiritual passion? Passion means that we are emotionally invested, not just intellectually invested in something. I, when we were, uh, let me say this first. Webster defines passion as the emotions as distinguished from reason. Intense driving or overmasking feeling or conviction. Passion is an intense feeling which leads us to action. Okay? Now we can believe a lot of good things, but it's when, when Christianity, uh, you know, gets into our emotions and we, we, and we, you know, and it begins within us, that drives us to action. Our Christianity is meant to be passionate, emotional, involving the emotions. It's not meant to be passionless, indifferent, unemotional, or uninvolving. Uh, when we were, when we were, uh, just knew the Lord, and we went to Grace Chapel here in town, and Grace Chapel was, um, you know, exemplified this emotional involvement, and, you know, we went, we were there for a year and a half, uh, we got married and we bought this house, we were there for a year and a half in that house, until one day we, we were sitting at home, and we said to each other, this is the first day, first night, that we've ever not been to the church. First night in a year and a half. Um, and why? Because there was, there was so much going on. We, we were seeing the move of God. We were watching God move. And it was so emotionally in, engaging that we, that we wanted to be there. We wanted to be where God is. And God wants us to be emotional about our faith, doesn't he? And then we, so we went, you know, I, I, I knew I needed to get more of the word, and so we went to Gordon Conwell, 
um, for, uh, you know, for seminary. And when we left, people said, you're going to cemetery. <laughs> because, 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 you know, how can, you know if, you're, if you get all this, uh, all this intellectual stuff, you're going to lose that passion. And I was, I, was, I was a little scared going to seminary. And what I found was exactly the opposite, all right? I found that my faith was built up as I learned more of God's word, as I got into the original languages and all of that stuff, my faith became stronger. So what I'm saying is this, you need both. You need the intellectual, you need the understanding, you need the study. You know, you know that I am, I'm big on the word of God and how important the word of God is, but that's not enough. We've got to have the emotion in there as well. We've got to be emotional about our faith. We've got to be passionate about Christ. In love with him. The first church I passed was a lady, and she was, uh, um, she, she was our choir director, and, um, and she was from a family of theologians and pastors. And, and I mean, they, they were really intellectual. And and, uh, and she and so we would go back and forth and we and the pastor had been there before me had introduced the courses like we have on here on Sunday morning and and so we kept up that tradition and, and this lady and I would go at it sometimes okay and she'd say you've got to you know you've got to because she loved the old hymns of the faith and she said you know those old hymns they've got such incredible theology and everything. And you know what? She was right. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, but we need that passion in there. Well, guess what? It's both. Okay? We've got to have both. We've got to have the intellectual. The more we understand of who Christ is, the more that we can stand against the attacks that come against us. But if we're just intellectual beings and we're not, we're not passionate about Jesus Christ, something is missing. And that's what was going on in the church in Laodicea. So we aren't just committed to propositional truth in defending our Christianity in the world of ideas. We are passionately committed to the person of Jesus Christ. We're not just in love with teaching, we're in love with Jesus. And then Jesus leads us to understand him more and understand the word more and so on. So revival then is good theology plus emotion, passion, and devotion. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor. And we cannot give up, and we won't, give up all we have and follow Jesus unless there's some passion in there. Whatever we are passionate about, we end up putting our time into it, don't we? And we can analyze Christianity as truth with detachment, but if we are to sacrifice all we have for the sake of the gospel, we have to be passionate. Religion is meant to be emotional. And all of us had great zeal in the Lord in our early days, and so we are to fan into flame our spiritual passion and remain passionately committed to Christ and passionately pursuing after the things of God. Okay, so... One of the sources, then, of the lukewarmness in Laodicea was the accumulation of wealth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So the people in Laodicea thought they were fine, in need of nothing, but they were actually in need of a whole lot of stuff. They were probably surprised that Jesus rebuked them because we're doing fine. And we don't know all the reasons why they were spiritually poor, but one of the reasons was their pursuit of material things and not spiritual things. And many of us here this morning come from church, churches which were materially well off but spiritually dry. How many came from a, you know, a wealthy church, dry, but dry church? Your background. Yeah, we did. I grew up in an Episcopal church, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was a wealthy church and so on, but spiritually dry. And, and we came to Christ through the Jesus movement, and that was that passion then combined with, you know, with what we'd learned in the church. But the problem can, can be a focus on material things. And there's a, some passages in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that talk about what the antidote then is to, uh, to, uh, to materialism. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 6 starts, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root, it's a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, let me just say right up front that wealth does not necessarily mean that we are spiritually dry. I know lots of wealthy people who are absolutely on fire for Jesus Christ. And all of us in this room today are wealthy in ter- in compared to what the rest of the world is like. We, 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 are, we are in the, like the 95th percentile in terms of wealth in America. So even poor people or, or middle-income people in America are wealthy compared to a whole, most of the rest of the world. And it doesn't take very long traveling in different parts of the world to realize how wealthy we really are. Um, you know, we, you know, we, the Turkey probably 30, 35 times, something like that, spent a lot of time there, lived there, and so on. And we have, we are certainly not what you would regard as wealthy people in America. But we have more, as, as much as many of the wealthy people in Turkey. You know, in terms of material things, we have as much as the wealthy people in Turkey. You know, let, let alone the, the middle income and the poor people and so on. So, so what are the antidotes to the pursuit of money? Okay. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, this is given to Timothy. Paul giving instructions to Timothy. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we then, as wealthy Americans, here's the admonition to us. Number one, don't be arrogant. 
okay? <laughs> and it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's easy when you have more wealth to say, you know, I did that. You know, I, I, I just, you know, I really worked hard. And, and I'm really good with money. And so on and so forth. And we become arrogant. And we become arrogant because other people are serving us all the time. The poor people are serving the rich, isn't that right? I mean, that's the way it goes. You get lots of money, people are going to be serving you. If you're poor, you don't have that choice. You have to serve the rich. And so it's easy to get arrogant. Um, and, and say that, you know, we've gotten our wealth by our hard work, our talent, our financial acuity, or whatever it is. And poor people often think that rich people are arrogant. I hear that oftentimes from poor people, that we who are wealthy are arrogant. They're superior. We, we believe we're superior. Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Okay? Jesus had to humble them because they were so arrogant. In part, I believe, the, of the lukewarmness in America, in the churches, is our wealth. We believe that we need nothing. Second admonition in this 1 Timothy passage. Don't put your help in wealth, but put our hope in God. Matthew 6, 19, the following. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what, what Matthew is saying in this is that Wealth, the problem with wealth is that it is always going downhill. <laughs> you know, moth and rust. You know, there's every, you know, nature is declining. You know, it's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything's going downhill. <laughs> it's all heading downhill. And, and so, you know, we as, as the people of God, then we work with those things to try to keep them up. I mean, you leave your house for a year, Okay, and come back, and it's a disaster, you know, <clears throat> inevitably. So, and we need to realize that wealth will not bring security. The more we have, the more we have to take care of and protect. Only a firm dependence on God will lead to true security and confidence in the future. And so what Jesus wants us to do is to put our hope in God and in God as our provider not in our own ability to be able to make money. Now, of course, we're to be diligent, we're to work hard, and so on. But where does our wealth come from? Our wealth comes from God. It doesn't come from us. And, you know, it's a time right now when inflation is 9.1%, highest in 40 years, and we are technically in a recession, okay? The technical definition of recession is two back-to-back -back quarters of negative growth, or negative GDP, and, and that's where we are. We just, at the end of July, we hit uh, to this, the second quarter of declining, um, declining growth. I guess you wouldn't call it declining growth, but it's a decline in the GDP. <laughs> you know, things are growing, they're going up, but things are, we're in decline, anyway. First Timothy 6.6, 6, but God... Contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing in the world and we'll take nothing out of it. 
um, at a funeral for a rich person, one man asked the other, he said, well, how much did he leave behind? And the other guy said, everything. (laughs) Yeah, and we do. We leave everything behind. So we need to realize that God is our privilege. Um, In Revelation 3.14, it says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus, in in his self-revelation of who he is, he says, I am the ruler of God's creation. I am your provider. And I think that one of the greatest lessons that we can learn in life is that it's not us, it's God. God is the one who provides, because that is the ultimate security, is it not? If we believe that we are children of God, and that God is our provider, and that he will provide no matter what happens, because, not because we're such good people, or we can earn so much money, but because we're a child of God, what incredible security is that? My God is not going to abandon me. My, my God is with me. He supplies my need. He loves me and he wants to bless me as his child. That is the greatest security that you can have financially. Next thing is, we're to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. You know, and I, fortunately, as I say, I've, I've, we've gotten to know a lot of wealthy people. And, and I have been blessed, you know, I'm talking about Christians here, as we, as we see them doing good, being rich in good deeds, being generous and willing to share. And I think that one of the, you know, one of the lessons that we've learned in the last you know, number of many years now, uh, is the incredible joy that there is in being a giver. Just, you know, I mean, so you don't have a whole lot, that's okay. Give what you have. Give, you know, give. Be willing to share. Be generous all the time. Be looking for opportunities to be generous and willing to share with other people. And then the last thing is that we seek first the kingdom of God. Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. <clears throat> Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus says, you know, <clears throat> let me in and seek first the kingdom of God. He's telling the Laodiceans, seek after the things of God. You've done well financially, Now, learn how to share that and seek first my kingdom. 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so what we're to do is, is the antidote to the love of money is to pursue all of these things. Pursue Christian character and spiritual growth. Okay? So what Jesus, you know, would say to these Laodiceans is, seek character. Seek seek to become like me. Seek spiritual growth. Become more like Jesus Christ. There's an inscription on a cathedral in Lübeck, Germany. And it says this. And this is in King Jamesy kind of English, even though it's in German, so it's obviously a translation from German. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us, ye call me master and obey me not. 
Ye call me light and see me not. Ye call me way and walk me not. Ye call me life and choose me not. Ye call me wise and follow me not. Ye call me fair and love me not. Ye call me rich and ask me not. Ye call me mystery, you call me eternal and seek me not. Ye call me noble and serve me not. Ye call me gracious and trust me not. Ye call me might and honor me not. Ye call me just and fear me not. And then the last line, if I condemn you, blame me not. Does that cut to the core or what? <laughs> so, so the, the admonition to the church in Laodicea is put, put Christ first. Seek after the things of God. Go after the stuff of God. And if God blesses you financially and you have wealth, share it. You know, you know help others. Realize that God has given it to you for a reason. And the Laodiceans apparently were, were hoarding. They, 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 weren't, you know, they weren't using that, those resources to help other people. And Jesus says, thank God for what you have. Use it to bless other people. I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. So pursue life that is truly life, not material life, which brings spiritual death. Well, it's Communion Sunday again, and you know it's not to be taken lightly. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do it once a month, and, and we, we want to think about it. And, you know, I've been thinking there's, there's just so much bad news. I mean, you guys know. Lots of bad news, lots of evil in the world, lots of, um, in John 10.10, it says, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But in John 10, it also says, I have come that they may have life. And Jesus gave his life, and he gave it so that we could have it abundantly. Um, you know, he died for our sins personally and for the world. And yet, I think we, we focus sometimes on the, on the war that's going on, you know, on the, on the negative. But there is a war that's going on, and we can't ignore it. It's real. And Ephesians 10, um, 6 tells us to put the full armor of God on so that we're able to stand. And so let's, let's be ready and not consumed about all the evil, but put our focus on God who has won the victory over death. We can, we can focus, we can pray, we can live in his word, and he has the final word. So as we put on our breastplate every day, Lord, we just, um, we just want to pray, Lord, that you might touch our lives, Lord, that we might focus on you. We may not ignore the evil that we see and that the devil is around, ready to consume us, Lord, but we know that you have the victory. And as we participate in this table, representing your blood and your body and your blood, Lord, that we would um, <clears throat> 
come to you and know that in all, you know, you have the victory. So everyone is invited to the table and we'll take the bread first and we'll eat it individually because we come as an individual person and, and so, um, so we'll take that individually, invite Jesus in individually in his body. And then the blood, we'll, we'll take the cup and we'll take it back to our seat. And then we'll, we'll do it as a body because we are a body of Christ. So um, let's go ahead and, and sing and then we'll come up. Go ahead and stand.
us pray. Heavenly Father, the lessons you have taught us today, that Frank has brought us, we ask that they go to our heart, that we learn what it really is valuable in this world, that we all know that being part of your family, being an active part of your family and loving all you and all the the people that you have around you, Lord, is what truly are the treasures that we can count on. So we ask, Lord, that we take these to heart and that we follow these words. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.